The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Mike Hawthorne. I'm the current artist on Deadpool, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 234, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, December 2nd. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baum, on Twitter. And when I'm not pushing back recording to Sunday so I can judge a chili contest and get out of Christmas decorating, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick, 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not crushing my co-workers' religious liberties as part of my one-man war on Christmas. You're well, like, it's my one-man war for Christmas. Oh, you're like a Christmas Rambo. Yeah, I'm Christmas Rambo. <laughs> I'm regretting leaving my job as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of The Totally Awesome Hulk and Robin War. After that, Joe and I climb in our two-headed Hulkbuster armor while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. After that... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the ghost of Christmas past is trying to broker a ceasefire, and telling us about the secrets of next week's comics, and finally, our very own Elise Wisdom is going to tell you how to shop for your nerdy ladies this holiday season during her Words of Wisdom segment. It's all happening right friggin' here, but before we get started, it is once again time to steal yourselves. December is here, and it's time for the annual THN! War on Christmas! There is no peace. There is no respite. There is only war. And no Christmas will be spared. So either take up arms or duck and cover. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Big news! So, Matt, this week, every pop culture site on the internet sat up and realized that Omaha is an actual city. And not a giant cornfield surrounded by farmhouses. Thanks to the Alamo Drafthouse. That's right. <laughs> the Alamo Drafthouse movie chain opened their Omaha location last month. And when they did it, the unveiling of their Star Wars themed lobby, complete with giant Death Star, whipped local nerds into a frenzy several weeks later. Every site from Entertainment Weekly to Newsarama slash film variety yeah. has decided to run a story about the nifty attraction usually adding a remark about how odd it seems that something so cool would be in a place assumed by many to be primarily populated by cows. You want to hear a crazy rumor? Yes. Good Morning America is going to be there. Well. Broadcasting from the Death Star the day of the Star Wars release. That's nuts. That's <laughs> totally nuts. I have a friend that works out there. He was telling me about it. After he got screamed down in his meeting by his bosses, they were like, by the way, Good Morning America is coming. So no <laughs> around <laughs> there were a few emperor jokes in reference to our governor to which I, my I, my reaction is hold on hold on everyone knows that our governor is lex luther yeah not the emperor yeah well he's not smart enough to be lex luther i mean really oh, yeah I mean. <laughs> matt we were out there we what were. did you think of the place we saw the hungry games part the three. hungry games part three the hungry everyone's games. like no it's mocking jay part two okay f- you this is the third movie all right <laughs> it's the fourth movie is it yeah oh yeah they split it into two that's right uh, I, I thought it was cool i thought it looks really neat i sat yeah, in the emperor's chair theater. and stuff i didn't think it was like 
that newsworthy, but I guess nobody else did it. So yeah, I mean, hooray. I guess it just people are so starved for Star Wars yeah, stories. Anything, anything at this do. point, uh, getting uh, close to the launch of the movie. But yeah, it's just hilarious. Like I woke up on Monday. That's a picture of the theater I was just at. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, I, I mean, like it was neat, but I I didn't. I don't know. I didn't walk in and go. Whoa! I mean, I thought it was fine. <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of brings me back around to my original point. We have cool things in Omaha. It yeah. is an actual legitimate city. Yeah, all kinds of cool shit. So screw you, coasters. There's cool stuff in the Midwest, too. Yeah, come visit us. That's no moon. Oh, sorry. Let me hike these up. Oh, what is it, Crunchy? Speaking of movie trailers, Joe Patrick, this week... Superman versus Batman colon Dawn of Justice Dawn of Justice <laughs> There's so many titles I keep forgetting it Dropped a steaming new trailer into the toilet of the internet this week A hot stinky trailer <laughs> I want your instant reaction Joe Patrick go I don't care Yeah I don't care Batman yeah. doesn't use guns That's my instant Batman reaction Batman shows up holding a giant gun He's got a giant gun Now okay There was one episode uh, There was one issue of Batman I recall where he was like a flashback where he was training Robin. And I don't remember which Robin was. It may have been Dick. Could have been Jason. I'm not certain. Actually, I think it was Tim when Tim was early training. <laughs> well, this is a great story. So he far. turns to Tim and he goes, take this and hands him a handgun. And Tim goes, I thought we don't use guns. And he goes, we don't. But we're going to practice throwing them. Oh, <laughs> like, awesome. That's cool. <laughs> so I'll take that. But no, Batman showing up with like a giant glowing cable gun straight out of the X90. Well, it wasn't glowing, but it was a giant gun. Stupid. Oh, yeah. And I we mean, got guns on the Batmobile, right. too. And now they, it looks like they're bringing General Zod back through cloning. Some idiots on the internet are calling it Doomsday. It's not Doomsday. It might be. They might call him Doomsday. We don't know that. God, that's so dumb. I don't think I could I could lose any more interest. I honestly, at this point, I could not be less interested. Oh, okay. So to be on the positive side, I thought Wonder Woman looked super badass. Yeah, she looks great, and I think she looks great. And there is something fun about seeing Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman all interact together on the movie screen. Yeah, That's, there is a there is a novelty there that I appreciate. We get a very good glimpse of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. Very and hairy Lex Luthor. His performance can best be described as Willy Wonky. <laughs> so, uh, via Johnny Depp. Nice use of Willy, Willy Wonky. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not into that portrayal at all. Yeah. I, I just don't know what they're, what Snyder is going for here at all. I, and I don't, I have lost all interest. This looks to me as bad as the Fantastic Four trailer looked, and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh-oh, it's the Penguin! And the Joker! What can they be up to? Oh no, are they going to steal the Batman? That should hold the two of you for a while. Let's stay in the movie news! Tuesday, the National Board of Review, a committee made up of critics, scholars, enthusiasts, and students, released their official picks for various categories, including Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Actress. Joe Patrick, you follow the National Board of Review blog very closely. Oh, yeah. I know Super, you're a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> while I've the films, my finger on the pulse. <laughs> while the films picked by the NBR haven't always matched up with the final picks at the Oscars and Golden Globe Awards, it is a good starting point for seeing which movies are primed for award season buzz. Here's where it gets crazy. This year, the board ignored the typical Oscar bait and named 
none other than George Miller's summer blockbuster hit Mad Max Fury Road as their top film. Bunch of smart people. <laughs> Other picks made by the board include Ridley Scott for best director. He's not going to get it. Matt Damon for best actor. Also not going to get it. Both for their work on The Martian and Sylvester Stallone as their choice for best supporting actor for his work on Creed. Give it to him. I'm calling my shot right now. Rocky wins. Give it to him. Rocky wins best supporting actor. There is no way Mad Max drives off with the best picture Oscar, right? It just, there's no way. I can't imagine a world in which a Mad Max movie <laughs> wins best picture. Well, let me ask you this. If it comes but Lord of the Rings won best picture. That's true. If it comes down to Mad Max and Creed, Joe Patrick Creed. is a deciding vote. He votes for Creed. Well, I mean. <sighs> Creed I, made me cry more than Mad Max. I I'll say that. Don't get me wrong. I loved both movies. I did too. But if it came down to Mad Max or Creed, I left Creed a blubbering mess <laughs> i so. left okay i left mad max a blubbering mess too but not because i was like emotionally overcome it was just like what happened yeah <laughs> I, I don't I, know i just love that it is th this film that really was great is going it sounds like they're gonna get some accolades and that's great i don't know if that translates to oscar gold we'll see i kind of doubt it yeah i do too it's just it's it's fun that a movie like this is getting this sort of recognition well, i think it's more than fun i think it's excellent that a nerd movie from you know a cult franchise is getting yeah. real recognition and it speaks to the to the the very real quality of that movie yeah. you know a lot of people were running around this summer saying that mad max was the best thing ever invented the best thing ever committed to celluloid it was the best thing i saw this summer and it's a lot it's easy for guys like us to say that right but that movie is brilliant it really it's was. really something special yeah speaking of sly stallone though which we always are according to a report from deadline the actor has finished final negotiations with fox to bring the original rambo film first blood to television as a brand new series <laughs> the show will focus on stallone's titular character john rambo and will explore his relationship with his ex-navy seal son J.R. Rambo, which I assume stands for John Rambo Rambo. Yeah, John yeah. Rambo Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> now, Matt, you're the biggest Rambo fan I know. Are you down for this? It depends who's going to do this. It's been a long time since First Blood, 1982. First yeah. Blood came out. And at that time, it was a very well-received and critically acclaimed film. And the Rambo franchise had not yet become as ridiculous as it would. Don't get me wrong. I still love yes, you. Yes, the explosion. Right. Uh, where like lady. Rambo's Vietnam. Now Rambo's helping the Taliban in Afghanistan, <laughs> which if you go watch Rambo three, he is helping the Taliban. <laughs> A lot can happen in 30 years, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, things change. I get it. Rambo was stuck in the middle. Whatever. It just depends how they do it and how it's handled. Evil Dead was recently brought back on. Was it Stars? Yeah, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah, Ash versus Evil Dead was brought back. It's great. It is fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah. So much fun. And it's done by the original, you know, creative team. Well, yeah, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi is involved. Mm -hmm. So I think if Stallone is involved, because he produced and helped wrote First Blood, I think this could be really good. And I think he's also realized, like, if you look at Rocky and Rambo, they both started off very serious. Like, Rocky won Best Picture. It was, yeah, yeah. it was an incredible film. And then it kind of ventured into camp and later on in life as the Rocky movies kept Brought being it made, around, yeah. it came full circle. And the last two Rocky films were excellent. Yeah. Really were. And Creed is excellent. And I think they've realized that there is something here and their fan, their fans are still interested in this. And if we take it seriously, people will watch. And I'm hoping that's what they do. Die hard writer 
Jeb Stewart is kind of running the show on this new project. That sounds like good news to me. Uh, fun fact, Jeb Stewart is also the name of the Confederate general whose ghost possessed the haunted tank. I don't think it's the same person. I'm not positive if a Southern gentleman ghost wrote Die Hard or not. But well, we'll never know. Man, that would make Die Hard trivia way cooler. <laughs> Who is this guy? I'm your worst nightmare. Joe Patrick, Paul Dini is back working on Batman. He's doing an original. Sort of. Sort of. He's doing an original graphic novel from Vertigo. This would be Batman's first appearance in, well, before we get too far in it, but this would be Batman's first Vertigo title, correct? Batman's never done anything Vertigo before. Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. No. In 1993, Batman the Animated Series creator Paul Dini was mugged in Los Angeles and suffered several cranial injuries and fractures. Now, Dini's revisiting that trauma in a new original graphic novel. Dark Knight, a true Batman story, brings Dini back to Batman's world, using the Cape Crusader and his arch enemies as a device which will tell the story of his own mugging and brutal assault. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, Dini said, quote, What makes Batman and other superheroes work is the myth that when life is at its lowest and when you need a hero, a hero swings down and helps you. I didn't have that. Here I'm writing these stories for an audience that loves this form in comics and animation. But now I was saying to myself, I can't go on with this. I don't believe in it anymore. There is no hero for me. Where is my hero? You have to be your own hero. That's kind of rambling. Sorry. Dark Knight follows Deanie in the aftermath of his mugging, using Batman and his enemies as voices guiding him through his healing process. Quote, I'm not saying I talk to cartoon characters all the time <laughs> but the characters are very real to me in a very non-insane way <laughs> i'm glad that he went into that the 121 page ogn pairs dini with artist eduardo rizzo guy you and i both like very much yeah yeah and will be published through vertigo june 15th 2016 this sounds kind of weird kind of brutal and possibly amazing yeah yeah so Vertigo has done other projects like this where the story is not about uh, this character. It's about the man or the writer or whatever. Right. But the character is part of the narrative, like obviously part of the story. Like there was uh, a Vertigo graphic novel called It's a Bird by Steven Siegel. Yeah. And it was all about like him and his experience writing Superman and what Superman meant to him sure and how it impacted his life and stuff like that so it seems like this is that sort of thing where it's Deanie like focusing his healing process through the lens of Batman and being kind of the guy that guided what a lot of people would consider the iconic version of Batman during that time period the oh, animated series definitely definitely like this happened the year after the animated series hit the airwaves so by the time his mugging incurred that show would have been a cultural phenomenon, yeah. you know, a year in. Yeah. I think it sounds amazing. The idea, how do you write uh, stories of a character that's always there uh, to protect the innocent and to, and to save people from this sort of violence when you yourself are the victim of that sort of right. crushing violence? Uh, Eduardo Rizzo, amazing. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's a neat This is like idea. the first original work from Dini we've seen in years too, isn't it? The last thing I regularly remember seeing Dini's name on was the Zatanna ongoing. Yeah, I guess that's true. If anyone can do something really interesting with this, it's Dini, though, and I'm curious to see how personal it really is, like how dirty he gets with it. Yeah, it sounds very honest and... Uh, kind of brutal. Yeah, I'm interested in it for sure. 
That's the big news for this week. If you want to talk about these stories or everything else we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where, where Joe Patrick is reliving some old playground beatings with a little help from his friend and hero, Pikachu. Okay. <laughs> Why not? I choose you, Pikachu. <laughs> Every week, the brain-injured Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the Two-Headed Nerd forums. And then, you kids have a chance to respond. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question is inspired by Paul Dini's new graphic novel. What's your favorite use of iconic characters outside the context they originally came from? Now, we gave you an example from a vertigo before. It's a bird by Steven Siegel. Right. So we're talking about something where the story isn't about this particular character, but they're definitely part of the narrative. For clarification, this is not an else world. This is not a what if. No. This it, is something different. I don't want to rattle off a bunch of things and, and steal people's answers, but... But like Superman Red Sun would not be... Superman Red Sun is not one of them. Exactly. No. I, I'm confident that you guys are smart enough to understand what I mean. I don't know if my answer will count. <laughs> we just we just talked about Dark Knight, a real Batman story by Paul Dini. It's a bird by Steven Siegel. These are the sort of things we're talking about where the story deals with the impact of these characters without actually having these characters as actual elements in the story. Does that make sense? Is this a bad question? No, it's a great question. It's a great question. I'm just waiting for the three or four people that totally don't get it. <laughs> I'm going to say this. If you do not understand the question, ask. Don't send an answer. Yeah, or ask first. Yeah. Go to the forums and ask first. Do you mean like, would this count? I'd be like, yeah. Call in. Throw that at us. Oh, you know? yeah. Check out the forums because I bet you those, du those dudes will throw up a bunch of examples. Exactly. You have until 5 o'clock Central Time this coming Friday, December 11th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle's to it at nerd. Or the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. If you're feeling existential... You can send us an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. You know you will. Matt's you, done it. You will. And he doesn't care about your sob stories it's true. either. It's true. If you need more time than that, head to the aforementioned THN forums where you can bounce these ideas off your fellow listeners and talk about just how dumb this question is. <laughs> I think it's an inspired or question. confusing. I mean, maybe it's not it's, dumb. It's not confusing. <laughs> Listen to the story, look at the examples, and okay. think about it. Okay. It's review time in the ziggurat, which we have decorated to look like the Moss Eisley Cantina, where Joe and I belly up to the bar, tell the droids to wait outside, and then we discuss two of this week's new comics. What is that smell? That is the yak face puke that I whipped up. It's all over the bathroom. I wanted this to seem real. Joe Patrick, what are you reviewing this week? This week, I'm reviewing Totally Awesome Hulk, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak, with art by Frank Cho. I can't remember the last time I was actually invested in the ongoing Hulk title. For years now, I remember trying out the latest relaunch, sticking with it a few issues, then dropping it out of disinterest or falling too far behind to bother catching up. Hulk's been relaunched so many times that I don't remember what prompted some of them. You remember that Jason Aaron and Mark Silvestri Hulk series oh, where he was punching giant sharks Ugh. on some island? I have no idea what led to that series. It, it was like Hulk of the Mole Man. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't last more than two issues reading no, it. Oh, it was terrible. Now I find myself actually excited at the idea of reading a Hulk book again, courtesy of returning writer Greg Pak and artist Frank Cho. 
For reasons that have yet to be fully revealed, Bruce Banner's out of the picture and Amadeus Cho is the totally awesome, totally new Hulk. Banner isn't forgotten, though. The mystery of what happened to him is part of the plot. In the present, Amadeus is having a blast as the Jade Giant. He gleefully springs into action, saving cute girls on the beach from giant turtle monsters, running into battle with She-Hulk and Spider-Man, oblivious to the fact that he's kind of bumbling through it and not impressing anyone. Pac never forgets that Amadeus is a 19-year-old boy and his age, or lack thereof, shines through his gamma-powered physique. We're introduced to Hulk's partner in crime, his genius 16-year-old sister, Maddie. Have we met her before? Maybe. I don't recall. We may have. Okay. And Maddie guides him in action through a drone from the safety of their flying food truck. <laughs> but as with all Hulk stories, there's the ever-present threat of losing control and becoming a monster. And that's my one real complaint with this story. I subscribe to the Peter David philosophy that the reason the original Hulk was so messed up wasn't because of his powers but because of his terrible upbringing and deep psychosis. I'm not big on the idea that someone like Amadeus Cho would have something dark and un uncontrollable bubbling under the surface, but we'll see how Pac handles it. We all have something dark and uncontrollable <laughs> under our surface, <laughs> Joe Patrick. Man, we all have that present. When Peter you know? David established the multiple personality idea, no, I get it, it wasn't the fact that he was gamma powered that was the problem. Right. It was Bruce. The At, problem was Bruce Banner. The problem was Bruce Banner, not the Hulk. Right. Which is why you have characters like Doc Sampson running around gamma powered, feeling just fine. Thank yeah, you. Looking good, too. Looking good with that green hair. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a Hulk story, and what's a Hulk story without the danger that, you know, he might freak out? I love Doc Sampson. I did, too. <laughs> I feel like this is a dream project for Frank Cho. It's got everything he's ever wanted to draw, sexy people and giant monsters. The only thing it's missing so far is apes. I was going to say apes. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we all know how much talent Cho brings to a project. And this series plays right into his strengths. And colorist Sonia Obach brings some gamma green vibrancy to his art. My favorite aspect of Cho's work here is that Banner's Hulk looks different than Amadeus's Hulk. Definitely. Who still looks distinctly Asian. Yes. I cool. thought it was great. It was it was a nice little touch. Also, props to Cho, who takes a lot of heat from some people for over-sexualizing women and whatnot. Everybody in this, like the women he drew, they were cute. They looked very real. They were not falling out of their swimsuits. Well, sure, or, you but know. also, I'm just saying the, the Hulk was super sexy, too. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Just, that's but fine. I mean, like, he toned it down a little bit, and I'm, and I'm giving him props. Uh, I thought this book was a blast to read from start to finish, and I think it's high time we have some actual fun with the Hulk series. I'm giving Totally Awesome Hulk, number one, a huge buy it. Yeah, I'm with you for all the same reasons. It's nice to read a fun Hulk book again. It's probably been since Peter David wrote it that it was any fun to read. It's been a like, real I liked, I liked the Mark Raid. I liked the Mark Wade Hulk where he was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., but I just, I kind of, it just didn't I do it for me. I fell back. Yeah. I fell behind and then I just stopped. No, this is a welcome change. It feels all new and all different. I'm excited for it. Buy it for me. Matt Baum, what was your pick for this week? Joe Patrick, I'm talking about the Robin War. Number one from DC, written by Tom King, with art by five different artists. Art by various. <laughs> Rob Haynes laid down the basic framework, I guess, and then lots and lots of other people drew and colored over it. Carrie Randolph was the one name I recognized. Yes. This was 48 pages for $4.99. Tom King's a writer we've been talking about a lot on this show. He's relatively new to the scene, and he's been doing fantastic work on DC's Grayson title, and Joe and I both loved his first issue of Vision over at Marvel. Here, King gets his first shot at a bat crossover, which these days is just about the biggest job you can get at DC. 
Editorial believes in the guy, and I'm glad they do because he's brought a real breath of fresh air to the somewhat floundering Bat titles. This week, I caught up on both Robin, Son of Batman, and We Are Robin, so I'd be prepared for the Robin War. Of the two, Robin, Son of Bats is by far the best. And I will say, King does a great job handling Damien's cocky attitude and Dr. Doom level ego here. Patrick Gleason is writing and drawing Robin, Son of Batman, and if you're not reading it, you're missing out. It is a fantastic book. See, I do really like We Are Robin. I'll get to that. I thought his take on Duke, the de facto leader of the We Are Robin movement, was better than the Duke in the We Are Robin title. It's just sort of... We Are Robin started strong, and now I would say it is fine. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm going to say it's fine. It feels a little like they're not certain what they're going to do with it, and maybe they got pushed into this Robin War thing. There's a really solid inciting incident here where one of the underground Robin kids badly botches breaking up a convenience store robbery, and the scene feels both natural and inevitable. It was really only a matter of time before something terrible happened to one of these untrained kids. I kind of expected it to take longer than six issues before they got around to the idea. Well, it just seemed like <laughs> I had every issue. kids is going to accidentally murder somebody. Yeah, I was just waiting for it. Well, spoiler. And the incident leads into a story that takes a look at police brutality in society. Whatever political message King is trying to make, however, gets lost in the comical evil of new councilwoman Noctua or yeah. Noctua or whatever her name is, and her plan to arrest every minor in Gotham that even looks like they might be part of the Robin movement. We live in a time where there's been a lot of scrutiny on police. Most recently, an officer in South Carolina beat a female student in her desk for not getting up and leaving the classroom. The story made national news. Okay, this was one kid, and the officer officer was immediately fired. There has to be a better way for King to broach this subject without showing ridiculously mindless police smashing through kids' windows in small in full SWAT gear, beating children with batons because they might be a Robin. Tasing them? Yeah, it, yeah. it's like literally they just went martial law and every kid is under arrest. And yeah. it, it was just silly. They are like smashing into private homes Yeah, for, because they might have a Robin poster on right. the wall. It, it's just ridiculous. One kid gets arrested because he's wearing a red hoodie. It doesn't even have an R on it. No. The plan goes so far as to dress James Gordon, ex-commissioner, in a robotic bat suit to, I guess, beat Robins to death while impersonating Batman. <laughs> That's just the Batman status quo right now. Uh, that was another thing. The idea that Commissioner Gordon, bastion of truth and justice, right. is going to blindly follow laws that he knows are unjust. Well, and show up and beat the shit out of kids? Nah. I mean, come on. Of course, the other ex-Robins show up cracking bad jokes and wearing their new 52 tech where I'm speaking of Red Robin and Red Hood. I, at Ugh. this point, I hate Jason Todd. I hate him. I don't care if I ever see the character again. He does nothing for me. He brings nothing to any of the books. I hate him. Thankfully, Damien, <laughs> I just wanted to get that out there. Okay. Thankfully, Damien is still wearing his original costume. The story wanders into ridiculousness very fast and isn't helped by the five artists and four colorists that worked on the issue, sometimes switching off every other page. Yeah. Robin War felt rushed and silly at best while trying to deal with the real world issue of police brutality. And it doesn't look like it's going to do much to raise the sales of any of the other Bat satellite titles. And you know what? I'd go so far as to say that it doesn't know which issue it wants to tackle because right. at first it's about these kids rushing out without training and getting somebody killed. Right. And then that's almost forgotten 
and and then the police become the villains. Yeah. Where it's like, didn't we just see a kid murder a police officer 10 right. pages so ago? There is a problem here. There's a real issue. Yeah. It's like, oh, these cops are fully justified. And I would have been just fine with like the cops taking a hard line on these Robin kids, maybe on their own. You yeah. know, a few a few bad cops do this. But the way that they pull it yeah. through with like the court of owls shows up and sh- and you say, yes, we're going to take down the Robins. Why do they even care? It's just silly. I'm giving this a leave it. I didn't like this book. Somewhere in here is a good idea. Right. Uh, I love the idea that the actual Robins, like Tim and Jason and Dick and Damien, would get a load of this gang running around in red and green right. and going, what the f***? Hold on. We can't have this. Okay, there you go. Robin War. Boom. You got it. Sure. I'm all right with that. But even the way they introduced uh, Dick, where he's just like, oh. sorry, secret agent force. I gots to go. No. <laughs> like, no, dude. You're a super secret agent. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you were to have a drinking game, every time somebody said some variation of oh. the words, we Slash I am slash R Robin. Yeah, that guy R Robin. You are Robin. Uh, you would be dead yeah. by the time this episode, <laughs> this issue was over. I can't believe that this is the same Tom King. I read the vision number two this morning and I thought to myself, there's no way this is the same guy. I know. Which leads Which me to believe this, this is, is n- not his fault. It leads me to I believe think it's this is very pushed. heavy editorial. Yeah, it, it, it seemed to me that this book. It was some marketing gimmick that needed to get out right now. Right. Which is why we had to hire 10 guys to make it. Because even in the books themselves, nothing like this is going on. Yeah. And, and both books, both Robinson and Batman, excellent. We Are Robin, not bad. They're, they're both pretty good. Nothing to do with this. This is schlock. And now every book for like the next two months is going to deal with yep. it. Yep. The Grayson book that I love, I don't yeah, care. I didn't like it. I, when they announced it, I, I thought, oh, man, that could be fun. But this was bad. Yeah. It was bad. I'm giving it a leave it. So that is a double buy it for Totally Awesome Hulk and a double leave it for Robin War. After you're done drinking at your favorite wretched hive of scum and villainy, puke up your opinions of these comics over at the THN forums. Gross. Starbucks may have fired the first shot with their blasphemous blank red cups, but Joe and I are launching the first strike on this year's War on Christmas. Join us now as we slide down our fireman pole into the THN armory, where the two-headed Hulkbuster armor is being prepped for launch. Joe, I'm going to need those coordinates. How am I supposed to launch an offensive without coordinates? Coming in now. You get them punched in while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Harley's little black book, number one from DC. (laughs) Well, I said I'd give it a try, and here we are. Harley Quinn gets a second title, this one teaming her up with the heroes around the DCU. And what could have been an entry point to get new readers interested in the character is instead a self-referential, inside-joke-heavy story aimed at existing Harley fans. I had no idea what was going on with Harley and her weird posse and her talking ghost beaver or whatever the f*** it was at the beginning of the issue. And I had a hard time caring about what happened after that. Look, it's not bad, but only Harley superfans need apply. Harley's Little Black Book number one. I'm being very generous and giving it a skim it because I'm sure that fans of the character will like it. I'm sure they will. 
Axed, number one from Black Mask. Writer Tony Patrick tells the story of a psychological hit squad for hire that goes into your subconscious and assassinates bad memories. It's a very cool idea. Sort of dreamscape means inception. But the idea is introduced with a woman seeking to forget her brother who's being held by a group of terrorists in a zoo where the victims of his crooked banking scheme can come see him get tortured by animals. <laughs> what? There's got to be a better grounded and less complex way to introduce this idea, but the story was still well written. I'm going to say this guy's name and just totally butcher it. I apologize. Ayan Heyrula's art reminds me of Michael Gayados and his thin line photorealistic style. It was very good. Axed is a great idea that just needs to be toned down. I'm giving it a skim it. This suffered from a lot of the same problems that young terrorists had for me. Where it's like, you got a great idea, but why are you going this strangely far with it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blackjack Ketchum, number one from Image. This is an odd supernatural western from Brian Shermer and Claudia Balboni about a man mistaken for an outlaw and on the run from monstrous enforcers. And look, I like a good supernatural western, okay? And I don't expect to have my hand held, but this story hits the ground running maybe a little too hard. Nothing about the world or how it works is explained, and I just found it kind of hard to latch onto anything. Sort of like all new, all different Marvel. <laughs> sort of. I'm going to give it another issue to hook me, but for now, Blackjack Ketchum is a skimmit. Sheriff of Babylon, number one from Vertigo. This is the second offering from writer Tom King to hit the shelves this week, and luckily, it doesn't feature Joyce, Jason Todd. King's first Vertigo offering follows Christopher, a U.S. military policeman in charge of training Iraqi forces to take charge of Baghdad before the first major withdrawal of U.S. forces and his trainees are being murdered. So this is 10 years ago. Think back. Sophia, a mysterious woman who seems to be playing several different interests against each other, and Nasir, an Iraqi investigator, sent in to solve the mystery of the dead trainees. Mitch Gerard's art is perfect for this story, and he obviously did a ton of research into how Iraq looked 10 years ago. Fantastic dialogue, a great mystery, and intense pacing makes Sheriff of Babylon number one a buy it. Mystery Girl, number one, from Dark Horse. I really like the first issue of this new series from Paul Tobin and Alberto Albuquerque about a street detective that knows the answer to every mystery. The only thing she doesn't know is how she knows or anything about her life from the last 10 years. Whoa. The art is great, and I love the hook of the story. I'm giving Mystery Girl number one a buy it. It looked really good. It was fun. Replica number one from Aftershock. Aftershock is a new publisher I just discovered run by ex-Marvel editor-in-chief Mike Martz. Replica hits the ground literally running. That's the second time we've hit the ground running in this show. Yeah, we sure have. With Earthborn investigator Trevor Carter chasing an insect alien diplomat through an interdimensional hub accompanied by alien investigators that can barely understand his sarcasm and bad attitude. Fantastic sci-fi art here by Andy Clark and laugh-out-loud dialogue by Paul Tobin. Replica is Blade Runner meets a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I am giving it a huge buy it. This was hilarious and really good. I'm excited to read it. Spidey, number one from Marvel. This was a super fun all-ages take on Spidey's early days in the vein of Kurt Busiek's classic Untold Tales of Spider-Man from the 90s. It's not groundbreaking, and it's going to be well-trod territory for old fans, but Robbie Thompson and Nick Bradshaw do a great job, and any kid that you give this to is going to love it. 
Spider number one's a buy it. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about it like that. Nick Bradshaw was fantastic. Always oh, that is. dude was born to draw Spider-Man. But this was like the ADD history of Spider-Man. <laughs> like, I could barely follow it. I was just like, oh my God, it's too much. And it just, ugh. It felt like Ultimate Spidey without a soul to me. <laughs> no, like. no. Skim it from me. I disagree. It just hits, it hits the ground running. Uh, shut up. Just like every other book I'm this week. I'm going your ground running. Red Wolf, number one from Marvel. The race for the first all-new, all-different Marvel book to be canceled has begun, and Red Wolf looks to be in the lead, which is too bad because Nathan Edmondson has a great take on the character. Jalbor Taljik and Jose Marzan Jr. do a wonderful job in the art, taking us back to Marvel's Old West, where Red Wolf is a Native American sheriff investigating a strange murder. There's a great twist in the end that turns what could otherwise have been a boring period piece on its ear. I'm really curious to see where Red Wolf goes next. You guys should all buy this. I had fun with it. You know what? I was kind of meh about it until the very end. That's what got me. Like, when I got to the end, I went, oh! And let me ask you this. If in the post-Secret Wars Marvel Universe, Red Wolf lives on the main Marvel Earth, how come there were still modern-day Marvel analogs running around in the Old West? This is like, here's an Old West version of Venom robbing a stagecoach or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I don't know. I can't answer that. Barrier, number one from Panel Syndicate. Brian K. Period Vaughn, Marcos Martin, and Munza Vicente. One of these days I'll learn how to say that are back with their latest Pay What You Want series from Panel Syndicate. At first, Barrier is a drama about violence, language, and illegal immigration, but Vaughn and Martin turn the story on its head at the end, throwing it in a wild direction, which I suppose if you've been reading these books for longer than five minutes, you should have expected. <laughs> you can and should read this comic for literally anything, even nothing if you're a jerk. Get to PanelSyndicate.com now because Barrier number one is a buy it. Daredevil, number one from Marvel. Charles Soule takes over old Hornhead and drops him back in New York, where, for reasons I'm sure we'll learn at the end of Secret Wars, no one but Foggy remembers that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. They're, no, they are not going to address this in Secret Wars. They're not? No. So hopefully we'll learn sooner they or later. They are not going to address every single character's individual status quo no, at the I end of that. Secret Wars. I just Wars. figured something was going to happen and we'd be like, oh, so lots of people forgot all kinds of stuff. No, it's, I don't know. It's clear in this story that Daredevil did something. I don't know what he did. He made and, a deal with Mephisto. And he's got a sidekick with invisible armor named Blindspot, and he's wearing a black and red costume now, again for reasons we're not told about. The first thing I noticed here, though, was Ron Garney drew the hell out of so this good. book, and Matt Miller's washout color palette and zip-a-tone backgrounds left me stunned. This was beautiful. There's a lot of explanation that needs to be done here, and this is quite the departure from the Wade and Sam Neese run. But Daredevil looks to be in good hands. I'm giving it a buy. I will say I was happy that while it's the tone is very different, Matt himself was not still definitely Matt. He was still he still seemed like the Wade Matt. He was not like yes. a super jerky brooding no. guy. Right. Um, and I will say this. I do like the new costume, but I pinned down exactly what my problem is with it. I hate that stupid logo. I like the windswept DD logo that's like swoosh, swooshing off from to the side. Uh, I hate it. I, I, I hate it. It didn't bother me that much. I hate it. Bang! That was your ludicrous speed round. Bang! Is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Trevor's partner, Vorgas, blasting an escaping insect diplomat in half as seen in replica number one. 
This was right after Trevor made a snarky joke about not using any guns. And Alien Guy didn't get it at all, just fucking murders this <laughs> In a desperate bid to end hostilities before they start, the ghost of Christmas Pass has agreed to sit down in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum with Santa, Pat Robertson, and Donald Trump's sentient hairpiece to discuss a ceasefire and potential peace accords before the war on Christmas gets any uglier. Matt, while we wait for the delegation from the island of misfit toys to show up, what do you say we cool the tension in the room with a little discussion of next week's comics? Hopefully it'll settle these guys down. Let's summon the Will I Am hologram and talk about some of next week's comics. (laughs) Next week, I am excited for Headlopper, number two from Image, written and drawn by Andrew McLean, 56 pages for six bucks. Here's your solicit. Norgal and Agatha pass through a dark forest with a particularly grim history where they meet a strange little creature named Nim? Nim. G-N-Y-M. Is he a friend or does he just want to see undead giants squish the headlopper to meat jelly? All this and more. We reviewed headlopper number one a few months back and it blew both of our heads off. No pun intended. So great. It was so great. It lopped our heads right off. You're going to have a lot of trouble finding number one, but if you can, go out and get it. This book's wonderful. I'm sure you can buy it digitally. Super excited. Joe Patrick, what are you reading next week? I am legitimately excited for Batman slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one from DC Comics, I assume in conjunction with IDW. Written by James Tinney in the fourth with art by Freddie Williams the second. Is he too good for a junior? He's got to be Freddie Williams second. He's the second. Maybe you're only junior if Freddie Williams the first is your dad. Yeah. Maybe like someone further down the line yeah, was Freddie Williams the first. There's just another Freddie Williams. Hmm. Yeah. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Freddie, I know you're listening. Let us know how that, I'm, how I'm that curious. works out. Now, you still felt good about this after you saw the ad that said Kawabatka? Yeah, I love it. I dropped my iPad. I'm all in. <laughs> I'm all in. Here's your solicit. DC Comics and IDW team up for the crossover you never saw coming as two of the greatest entertainment icons meet for the first time. In Gotham City, a series of deadly raids leads Batman to believe he's up against a group of highly trained ninjas known as the Foot Clan. Somehow, they've crossed over to another dimension and are determined to take advantage of the situation while looking to get back home. But they haven't come alone. Leonardo, Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo are hot on their trail. Get ready for excitement as heroes and villains from both worlds clash and team up in an epic battle that threatens the very fabric of reality. I love Freddie Williams II. I do too. He's very good. I like James Tinian the fourth. I like him as well. There are a lot of Roman numerals in this series. There is <laughs> a four and a two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think this sounds like a ton of fun. I love intercompany crossovers. We've talked about this. This is silly. Kawabatka. Oh, That's God. just the exact tone I want. It's all yours. The THN trade of the week goes to snow. The complete edition graphic novel written, illustrated and published by Benjamin rivers, 174 pages for 12 bucks. What a bargain. That is truly a bargain. Stupid. Here's your solicit. Dana is a woman who doesn't deal well with confrontation. She likes her job, her friends, and the cozy comfort of her neighborhood, Toronto's own Queen Street West, which is beautiful. I was just there not too long ago. But when the world forces her to stand up. That eye roll is a Periscope exclusive. (laughs) Will she be able to handle it? Snow is a dramatic story of personal growth and change as Dana deals with both losing her job and her obsession with a local tragedy. So this book popped up on the list. It is a self-published book that he still, Diamond is carrying it like it's available through comic shops next week 
it got a, of a lot of attention. It was nominated for a Joe Schuster Award, uh, and I think maybe he got the Zerick Grant. Maybe not. I may have made that up. But uh, also, there's a a film adaptation. There's a ton of that was made out of it. Yes, uh, an award winning short film that was made about it. It just looks like a fun project, and twelve bucks Come to on. support Come an, on. Indie, indie art. Come you've, on, man! You've spent twelve bucks on way dumber than this. Yeah. <laughs> Tensions are high here in the Ziggurat, but we still want to know what you're excited to read next week. So hit us up and tell us what you're excited for at the THN forums. Matt, I had no idea that Ted Cruz was raised by the giant Yeti from the beloved Toymation Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Who knew? Huh? It, it does almost, explain a lot. It almost makes me like him a little more. No. <laughs> His dad was the Bumble. With the holiday season upon us, we have decided to check in with our love slave, Elise Wisdom, who's got some gift ideas for the nerdy ladies on your list. Get ready for your nerdy holiday gift-giving guide in this month's Words of Wisdom. Happy Christmahana Kwanzaa, nerds, and welcome to another installment of Words of Wisdom. With the impending holidays looming over us, I thought it might be wise to give out some friendly advice on what to get your lady nerds for whatever gift-giving ceremony you celebrate in the privacy of your homes this season. Whether you have a girlfriend, wife, or mom, for a lot of you, let's be honest here, there's a little something for every woman on this list. So pay attention, be thoughtful, and hopefully you won't get into a fight this year about how you never listen anymore. So here's the thing. Your woman is going to say she doesn't need you to get her anything, but hopefully you figured out by now that that's a trap. She wants you to get her something, and she wants it to be something she never knew she always wanted. Women, am I right? Now, the first thing you have to do is pay attention to her interests and what kind of nerd she is. For example, does she like Hunger Games? Did she drag you to see Mockingjay 2? If so... I guarantee she noticed this wraparound scarf cowl thing that Katniss wears at one point and secretly wants one. How do I know this? Because I haven't seen the movie and I'm aware of its existence and out of curiosity googled Hunger Games cowl and found like 300 of them for sale on Etsy. So guess what that tells you? A lot of chicks like that cowl thing. They range in price anywhere from $45 to $169. Plus they're all hand knit. Bonus points. You're welcome. Is she not really a Hunger Games kind of gal? That's okay. Got you covered. I bet dollars to donuts she binge-watched Jessica Jones and loved it. So here are some ideas for the Jessica Jones fan in your life. In the show, Kristen Ritter wears a leather moto jacket by Acne Studios, which costs $1,600 and is currently sold out. But do not fear. There's a whole world out there of similar jackets at a much lower price. I googled Jessica Jones jacket and found a nice-looking $40 jacket on polyvore.com, and there's always something similar at Forever 21 or Target. If she doesn't need any more jackets or you're nervous about getting the size right, a fail-proof option is a knit gray infinity scarf and a bottle of whiskey in her stocking and a couple alias books under the tree. Still haven't heard anything that sounds good enough for your princess? Well, then try this one on for size, you scruffy nerf herder. You can never go wrong with sleepwear. No, not lingerie. This is a gift for her, not for you. I'm talking about jammies, robes, slippers, stuff like that. 
show your lady that you think she's gorgeous first thing in the morning in her jam jams with no makeup on. Might I recommend heading over to thinkgeek.com and checking out their pajama section and more specifically, a sleep shirt that says, I love you on it. And when you turn out the light, the words, I know, glow in the dark. $24.99. And while you're there, get her a stuffed animal to go with it. They have a plush octopus kitty for $30. Two things chicks love, kitty cats and tentacles. Trust me on this. If you're still stuck, I don't know what to tell you. Just give her a gift card to Target and make her a card. Ladies seriously love it when you make them something. And Target is the happiest place on earth. Good luck to you nerds. Happy shopping and a Merry Christmas to all. And for my Klingon friends, Krizmash, Dashiv Jash. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the annual War on Xmas. See what I did? When the war is frightened so hard, we just dropped Christ from Christmas. <laughs> Episode of He's not going to take that lying down. If you dig podcasts that openly attack others' overly sensitive religious ideals, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because kids... It helps us to connect with other potential listeners you just did it. like you. You did it. You said potential. Did you didn't even mean to. I didn't mean to. It just came out that way. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep Santa's militia in munitions. Man, that was a hard sentence, but I, I did it. Mama ma. Mama ma. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you want to sponsor THN, you can shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, straight to our faces, head over to the Two-Headed Nerd. virtual faces. Our virtual faces, I guess. Head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, Skype, and of course, the Ziggurat Hotline. Give us a call at 402-819-4894. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before I bet you there's going to be some Christmas music in it this month. There might be. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Joe Benkus, the casual comics guy who solved the biggest mystery in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Guardians of the Galaxy Easter egg that James Gunn doesn't want anyone to uncover. You heard it here first. The mystery figure in the Collector's Museum was none other than... The Toxic Avenger. Word to you, Joe. Great job cracking the case. Now, head over to casualcomicsguy.com and review the evidence for yourselves. It's pretty ironclad. It's shocking! Get ready. Next week on the show is going to be our annual Hanukkah Christmas Hanukkah Christmas cookie special. And that's not what it's called. It's the annual Hanukkah Drunk Show. Oh, the Hanukkah Drunk Show, where Joe Patrick and I will be hosting the show. Uh, A little roasty and toasty. And afterwards, we will be either tweeting or periscoping. We haven't decided yet. A holiday movie. This year's movie viewing... Lethal Weapon. Is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? Absolutely takes place during Christmas in L.A. All right. That's fine. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer might not disarm the bomb in your toilet if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Lethal Weapon. You scare yourself sometimes.